Thank you for joining us today. We'll be studying Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be discussing how we've been adopted as sons of God and sealed by the Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. So if you'll open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin our lesson. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to meet together. I thank you for this group. Thank you for bringing us all here safely this morning. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word this morning. And I just ask that you you speak through me, you speak through each one of us as we study the word and try to learn what you would have us learn this morning and, and just open our hearts and minds so that we can not only learn but have the ability to apply what we learn. So when we leave here, after our lesson this morning, that we be able to live our lives more in the way that you would have us live and be that light to others that we encounter uh, so that we can live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to you. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, this morning we're beginning our study of Ephesians. And let me give you a little background before we get started. Ephesians was written by Paul, and you recall we talked about Paul a lot when we studied Acts. Paul was Jewish-born. He was a Roman citizen. He persecuted Christians before he became a Christian, but he was dramatically converted in about A.D. 35 on the road to Damascus when he encountered Jesus Christ. And Jesus asked him, his name then was Saul, why are you persecuting me? You can read about that in Acts 9. But Paul ended up really being the primary apostle to the Gentiles. He was in prison two times. The last one was in around A.D. 67 by Nero. And he actually died in prison in A.D. 68. So he talks a lot of, in this letter to the Ephesians, which, by the way, was written somewhere between about 60 to 63 A.D., but he talks about the discipline that is needed by the children of God. And he wrote this, and he also describes who we are as the church, what our position is in Christ, what the meaning of the church is. He wrote this while he was in prison the first time in Rome. He was under house arrest, so he was able to live on his own, probably in some rented quarters, but with Roman guards. And he was probably allowed visitors. We'll see that Tychius actually is going to take this letter. We'll see later in chapter 6 where he will take this letter to the church in Ephesus. And then probably on this letter probably circulated to many of the other churches. In fact, some of the early manuscripts even leave out Ephesus. There's just a line there. which So the thought is that maybe this letter also got circulated to some of the other churches. Why don't we begin our study? The purpose, by the way, that this was written was really Paul wanted to explain the mystery of the church. The church being the body of believers, both Jews and Gentiles. The unity and the love in what it means to live out our faith consistently, growing in our knowledge and our relationship with God. The church began, we saw in Acts, it began on the day of Pentecost, and it's going to end with the rapture. We saw, and let me flip you over to Matthew 16, verse 18. It says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Paul is going to basically take that in this letter 
and expand upon it. This letter is really an exposition of that verse about the church. And the church has always been part of God's plan from the very beginning, but it was not revealed to us until the New Testament. And he's also going to talk about how our faith should have an impact on all the relationships that we have. We'll read later in chapters 5 and 6 about our relationships with our spouse and our children and in our work relationships. So there's a lot that we'll try to cover. And so let me begin. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul starts out by just explaining his authority, that he is an apostle by the will of God, and he's an apostle to the saints, meaning, as we've talked about before, whenever we see saints in the New Testament, that's usually talking about all believers, all Christians. So he's writing this letter to all the believers who are in Ephesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's beginning with grace, and we've talked about what grace means. It's really unmerited favor from God. We can't earn it. There isn't anything we can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. He's saying grace to you and peace. So with this grace that we've been given by God, because we have this grace, we also have peace. We have peace from God. We're no longer separated from God because of his grace and our faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So let's talk about this a little bit. Here he's referencing election, predestination, and I know these can be difficult topics There's a little bit of a mystery to that, and and so I'm not going to use our lesson today to dig into that, but what I do want to say, because when we read in other verses, we can see that God gave us free will, and what I want to say about this now is just that it is, I do believe, is purely by God's grace that we become Christians. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we have to contribute to it other than our need for his forgiveness and his grace. We are sinners. We're helpless sinners. But for some reason, he extends his grace to us. And I know that there's some free will. That's why he tells us to go make disciples of others. So I don't want to get hung up with, okay, well, if this was all predestined and there's nothing I can do, then why do I really need to go be sharing the gospel to others? So there must be something to this, although I believe we have nothing to contribute to it. So I'm fine with sort of this tension. There's a little bit of a mystery. He says, whoever may come can come. And so it's it's open to all. And I guess another way to look at it is he did choose us because he definitely has extended grace to us. At the same time, there's people who, the non-elect, they choose to be non-elect. They are choosing the life that they want to live, and he's allowing them to do that. There's a little bit of tension there, and let's just leave it at that for today, and and we can come back talk about that in another lesson. I'm going to read on verse 5, beginning right before verse 5. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And he's talking about Christ there. So when you look at verses four and five together, he basically has chosen us. He has adopted us as sons in Jesus Christ. Adoption was really quite different in the times that Paul is writing compared to today. When we think of adoption, we generally, what comes to our mind are little kids, uh, sometimes infants even, but very young children being adopted because for whatever reason, they don't have parents or their parents have given them up for adoption. Where in, in those days, the whole inheritance thing, you know, if you didn't have kids, there wasn't anybody to then take on your inheritance. And so there were actually a lot of people who were adopted as adults. In fact, there were probably more adults adopted than there were children. And so the readers of this text would readily understand what Paul is talking about. Because when you're adopted as a son, you're going to have this inheritance. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's using this adoption He's describing what we receive when, as we've been chosen by God, by his grace, that he's bestowed his grace on us, and that we're now adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. We've become sons. That's what he's describing in verse 5. We're now identified as Christ through our adoption as sons. So verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's meaning that's Christ's blood. So redemption, we've been set free there's been a price that's paid. There's been a ransom that's paid. It's Christ's blood. And, and what we've received as a result of that payment is, we see, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. So again, we're now viewed as being righteous, blameless in God's sight, but we have nothing to contribute to it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it but yet we have been adopted, just like a child has been adopted, and now we have this inheritance. We see now in verse 8, which he, meaning the Father, God the Father, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention that he purposed in him, meaning Christ. So this is saying that God the Father has lavished this onto us, and there was a mystery before. In the Old Testament times, there was a little bit of a mystery about this Messiah and how this forgiveness of sins would come about. But now we know that Christ is the Messiah, and God's will has been made known to us, this wisdom and insight that non-believers just don't have. They don't have the insight. They can't understand it. Yet we have been adopted, and so now this mystery has been revealed to us. Continuing on in verse 10. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Let's unpack that a bit. So this administration is really talking about it's a time, it's a dispensation, it's referring to the return of Christ and the reign of Christ that we're looking forward to, that when, when that time comes, when Christ comes back, there's going to be unification. All believers are going to come together as the church, as the bride of Christ, the summing up of all things. Christ is going to rule over the kingdom and will rule over everything. We see not only the heavens, but also on the earth. Now we're going to see this inheritance that I was talking about. Verse 11, 
In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So this again is the Father. He says that in him, meaning in Christ, we, and here Paul's actually talking about the Jewish believers because God chose the Jews first, and Paul is a Jew, so in, in, he's saying in Christ, also we, being the Jews, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to God the Father's purpose. Verse 12, to the end that we, meaning the Jewish people, who were the first, they were the first to hope in Christ, should be to the praise of his honor and his glory. So the inheritance, this eternal life, the eternal glory is with Christ. But then he goes on, verse 13, in him you also, so this is, this could be the Gentiles, this could be others at Ephesus, but you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So let's unpack this a bit. First, he says, to come to faith, first you've got to listen, then you believe, and then you're sealed. And this Holy Spirit is given to us. The Holy Spirit is given to all believers. Everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ immediately receives the Holy Spirit. We saw at Pentecost when we were studying Acts 8, when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus left, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit and on Pentecost, that's when the disciples then receive the Holy Spirit. Now it happens automatically to us as Christians. And we see we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when you think of a seal, you can think of it as a mark. It's a mark that we've been marked now, that we're a child of God and that we are going to receive this inheritance. You can think of this mark as an ownership, like a signet ring back in, in the day of the Romans. It's a mark that we are now owned. We're owned by God. We're children of God. And we have this promised inheritance of eternal life. And the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge, like a down payment of this inheritance. It's to show that we are promised this inheritance of our eternal life. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us here on this earth as Christians as a down payment so that the Holy Spirit can work in our life to help us live the life that God intends us to live and help us, quite frankly, understand the scriptures. So verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, that's your love for all the believers, he's saying, the, the people in Ephesus, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul is saying he's always praying for them. He's hearing good things about how they love one another, other believers. And so we should model that as well. We should always be praying for others. He says in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's actually praying, and we should pray this for others, and we should pray this for ourselves, that the Holy Spirit will teach us and give us wisdom through our studying of the scriptures, that uh, we'll have new knowledge and new revelation about God 
and how God wants us to live our life here on earth as we study the, the scripture. And we need to have the spirit to help us do that. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. So he's saying, he's praying for this, and we should pray this too, that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that our minds would be opened as we study the scriptures, so that we can begin to know the hope of his calling, meaning what we've been called to. Why did God leave us here? Why do we have the positions we have in our jobs, our family, our spouse? What has he called us to do, and how can we live our lives in accordance with this calling? He's praying that the Holy Spirit will help show us that. And we should pray the same thing so that we can better understand the richness of this inheritance that he promises to us as believers. From our calling to our glorification, our ultimate glorification, we, we're going to be going through this process that's called sanctification. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more and more Christ-like when we enable the Holy Spirit or allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. When we confess our sin, we don't confess our sin to earn our salvation. We already have our salvation as believers. But when we have unconfessed sin in our life, that hinders, we'll see, the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We'll see that uh, when we get further into Ephesians. So we need to confess our sins to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And that also allows us to then tap in to this incredible power that Christ has given us. Christ has made tremendous resources available to us with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so Paul is praying that we will come to know and understand that, that this inheritance has given us incredible resources in Christ. And we're to draw on that richness as we live our life. I've heard it said that really to know God personally is what we call salvation. You can read about that in John 17, 3. Then to know him increasingly, as I described, that's called sanctification. We can read about that in Philippians 3, 10. But then to know him perfectly, that's glorification. That's at the end, and that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12. So we'll continue on at the end of verse 19. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority. So Christ is now seated above all rule and authority. That's both human and angelic and power and dominion. So he, he rules over everything, all power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, this age being the church age that we're in, but also in the one to come, describing the millennial thousand year reign and then eternity that will live with Christ. Verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So his body he's describing is the church. And what he's describing, it's this body of believers. That's us. We make up the body of believers. So Jesus is filling the church with his blessing. And 
Jesus is now the head of the church in this church age that we live in, but he's going to assume the position of being head of all creation at the second coming. When we come back next week, we'll be reading chapter two and we'll see what we were before we were Christians, how we were just dead in our sin and totally separated from God. And that now that we, by God's grace, have now been saved through our faith, not that we contributed anything, but who we now are in Christ. That's what we'll be studying next week. One thing we need to take away and constantly be aware of is that every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling in us right now. We have that power that we can tap into, always available to us, yet so often we let the littlest things just knock us off course instead of calling on the Holy Spirit to help see us through and also see God's plan through whatever struggle that is. God may be wanting to use that in a way to draw us closer. I think we should also take away from what we read this morning that as believers, we are secure. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge. We've been sealed, and we should be secure in our salvation. We're promised this inheritance. We're promised our eternal life, and therefore we should thank God, be very thankful for his grace and his inheritance and his adoption of us as sons because certainly it's nothing that we did to deserve it. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.